Welcome to 43% and Rising, a podcast about women in marketing. We sit down with some of the industry's most game-changing women, hearing about their experiences rising to the top, as well as their views on how the marketing industry can evolve. I'm your host, Beatrice Alabaster, and this podcast is brought to you by Ernest. In today's episode, I'm joined by Laurel Stark, creative director of The Sims and co-founder of Next Creative Leaders. On top of an impressive creative career, Laurel is known for her work as an industry changemaker called Industry Bettering by Adweek and World Changing by Fast Company. She has been honoured by the brand innovators 40 Under 40 and named a Pitch 100 superperson for her industry-wide DEI and mental health advocacy. We'll be talking about speaking up against inequality, finding a supportive professional community and amplifying underrepresented voices, both in the workplace and in the work. Hi, Laurel. Thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. I know it took a while to schedule, but thank you. Oh, no. The pleasure, believe me, is all mine. As a former self-confessed Sims addict, I'm especially excited to talk to you, I have to admit. It is It is um, a brand that brings people together, so I'm glad about that. It definitely is. You've got a nice, you've got a nice group of people behind you with these kind of uh, quiet obsessions, I would say, so... Very, very exciting for me. Um, so just to kick things off, I wondered if you wanted to tell me a little bit about yourself. So just how you got into the industry and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Um, so currently, um, my role is creative director across the Sims franchise at EA, um, which is a dream role for me in, in a lot of ways. Um, I'd say mainly because you know, it's such a beloved brand. It's a brand where I get to be in service to the creator community. And it's a brand that really lives my values around creating a culture of belonging, um, supporting diverse voices, um, and, and building a future where everyone sort of has opportunities. So for me, that's kind of like the, the be all and end all in terms of what you could want out of a brand to be a part of. And as a creative person, um, and yeah, I, uh, this is about, oh gosh, I think I'm 16 years in the industry now. Um, you know, I actually went to advertising school, uh, you know, after undergrad, I went and got my MFA in advertising, uh, because I knew I wanted to do something creative and figured out I needed a portfolio and, uh, my parents are engineers. So they were like, you mean you're going to grad school? And this was sort of like my in-between <laughs> solution, um, but, uh, yeah, I went to, you don't need to go to advertising school. I'll throw that out there. Uh, I think there are a lot of free programs that you can do, or you can, um, build your portfolio on the outside. I don't want people to think that's the only way in. It was my path. It worked for me. Um, there's a lot of opportunities that won't put you as much in debt that we should, that are also worth looking into. Um, yeah, I went to ad school. I started out, um, in the digital agency side in San Francisco, uh, because I was passionate about, um, multi-platform storytelling and really excited about the opportunity in the digital space and starting to think about early days of social media and those types of things that I felt like 
you know, the creative opportunity hadn't been fully realized yet. And that was really exciting for me. Um, and, you know, starting out in the digital space, uh, kind of opened up a lot of opportunities for me. Um, I have, I have done a lot of different things, worked at, worked at agencies. I've worked for consultancies, creative consultancies where I've gotten to work on app projects and, um, and even like light gaming projects and things like that. I've also worked for Gensler, which is, a historical architecture firm, but I was working more in the branding, the space branding uh, kind of things. What do we want the space to feel like? How do we get people to live this brand in an experience? Um, and also, uh, you know, worked in-house, you know, because I work in the Bay Area at a lot of like really amazing tech companies that had super brilliant, creative internal teams going on. So I've worked with the Google brand studio and, uh, and with, um, agency inside, which is a part of, uh, Intel. And then also most recently before joining the Sims at TikTok. So I think for me, you know, it's been an exploration of, of what creative means in this new landscape. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have kind of jumped around and really figured out what that meant to me. Um, and then, you know, along, along kind of having one foot in the tech space and one foot in the creative space, um, you know, I, I experienced some things in my career that weren't so great, uh, sexism and, uh, you know, experienced sexual harassment, you know, as a senior creative, um, I was bullied in the workplace. And so these types of things kind of opened my eyes to, what might not be so great about working in the creative yeah. world. Um, and, and that led me to stumble across the 3% movement, um, which I felt for the first time ever that I, uh, my experiences were reflected back to me that I realized, Hey, what I'm experiencing isn't just about me. It's about a bigger problem. Um, and it, it kind of inspired me to join that movement and, and to try to make sure that other people, didn't feel like what they were experiencing was because they weren't worthy or weren't talented, but because it was a problem with their industry that was worth solving. Um, so yeah, I mean, early on DEI became kind of a part of my path and it's kind of led to a lot of the <laughs> side projects that I've picked up. And ultimately I think, um, you know, building on the things that I'm passionate about um, opened up the opportunity for me on the Sims um, which is great because I get to actually live my values and be creative in the DEI space um, day to day and not just have to like do it in my, in, you know, at night after my nine to five. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Especially to have such a, you know, varied, varied career and really get that opportunity to figure out what you don't like, what you do like. And also that that those negative experiences that you have aren't mandatory and there are other ways of doing things if you can find the right opportunity for you. Yeah, totally. You you mentioned uh, your work on the 3% movement. That's something I'd love to talk about. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that movement, just for any listeners who don't know about it? Absolutely. Um, you can learn more about this at 3percentmovement.com. But the 3% movement um, is an organization that was, start, was started by and a wonderful woman. I'd call her kind of like, the queen mother of advertising in a way for ad women, um, creative women, Kat Gordon, who's become a beautiful friend of mine over the years, absolutely changed my life. Um, and the 3% movement started out as a conference and it came from data that Kat had discovered that found that only 3% of 
the only 3% of creative directors were women, um, which is insane. When you think about the fact that women actually make more than 80% of purchase decisions. And then when she really started digging into this data, she was looking at other data that said like over 90% of women don't feel like advertising speaks to them. So Kat basically, you know, was in, was kind of baffled and shocked and interested by this data and uh, sent a tweet out. Um, and this was oh, back in, I want to say it was around 2000, let's see, 2012, I do math. I think it was 2010. I might be wrong about the date, but sent a tweet out asking where all the female creative directors were and and held her first conference in San Francisco with 200 people. It was all women creative directors came from around the U.S. um, and started talking about what was actually happening and what women were experiencing in the workplace. And like, what was it? Why was it that we only had 3% of women leading creative? Um, And and that kind of conversation started um, around gender parity and also like what that actually, what that impact was to business, which obviously everything is business driven. And we know now that, you know, more diverse teams, diverse opinions actually is directly linked to the business, you know, to the success of a business. And so Kat was really the person that started that, um, that conversation. Um, and the 3% movement's been around for 10 years now. This is our 10th anniversary this year. Um, I attended their, (laughs) I know I attended their second conference ever, which was so eye opening to me. Um, and then the next year joined the team. And so I've been a part of that leadership um, team for, yeah, eight years. That's fantastic. And there is, you know, it's interesting. I think there's a real irony. This podcast that we're on now is called 43% Rising. And that's a reference to the number of female CMOs. Now, in comparison to the proportion of women in marketing in general, that's still, you know, a, a bad, a gross underrepresentation, really. But I mean, 3% for creative directors is just in a whole other league. Why, it why do you think sense. it is that <laughs> it we're so sense. woefully underrepresented? Um, well, there's been a lot of studies around the advertising in general. But like I said, I, I think a lot of the things that we're experiencing could also be said for tech. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, I will say that thanks to Kat's work and the work of you know, lots of fearless women in this space who have um, worked on programs that help educate and like really getting this information out and, and, and the allyship of wonderful men in the industry. You know, we've actually made a lot of progress over the past 10 years. And now we're more like at, I think it's 29.3% representation wow. in, the, in the last um, study that Kat did, which is amazing. That's amazing. It's still not, it's still not there yet. Um, so I think, uh, I think, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do still, but it's so much, it's just a world's different from where I, where I was when I was a senior creative and where I am now as a creative director myself, part of that, you know, part of that, um, positive movement in terms of representation. But I think some of the challenges have been just with implicit bias and this idea of what creative can be. I think also this is a tough industry. Like, this is an industry that celebrates like the all nighters and the like going out to party with your clients and these kinds of things. And those types of environments can be really toxic for women and they can be 
especially hard for mothers because you have to leave at five to pick up your kids. You have to be up at a certain hour to drop your kids off to school. And so I think just based on kind of the culture that was created and then perpetrated, it made it really hard for women. And so we, we saw that women were actually leaving the industry in droves right at the time where they should have been kind of stepping into those leadership positions themselves. And so these are some of the things that Kat and, and lots of others have been working on. Sure. And I like, you know, I really like your use of the word fearless there. You know, these are fearless women who are actually speaking up and doing something about it. Because when the status quo feels so deeply ingrained, creating a kind of counter movement, like it does feel like an intimidating thing because it's not always going to be well received. How, how's your experience of that been? You know, um, I would say that my experience leading up to the 3% you know, I received a lot of messages implicitly and explicitly about who I was and what my worth was and like where I belonged in the conversation. And it was really damaging. You know, I think by the time that I stumbled on to Kat, you know, Kat and her work and finally had this like aha moment about like, oh my God, maybe this isn't about me. It's about something bigger. I had internalized things and it was bad. I didn't think I belonged in this industry. I didn't think that I deserved to be recognized for my leadership or for my talent. And uh, that is soul crushing. You know, it, it crushes your dreams. And I had to spend a lot of time working, you know, with a therapist, with myself, with um, shaping new experiences for myself in the workplace that were positive to kind of like get out of that hole. But strangely enough, um, as, you know, as somebody who started leaning in and being inspired by Kat and, and people like Cindy Gallup, who are just so fearless and, and like just hit it head on. And they're like, why does this panel only have white guys on it? you know, why, why is this CMO list all dudes? Why, why do we not have any black people represented here? Like they're the ones shouting it out. And that's a scary thing, but I kind of took their lead and um, started, you know, being an advocate myself. And what I found is actually when I always, when I leaned into the doing the brave thing, only good things really came out of that for me. Like it connected me with community that I had been craving. Um, it connected me with partners who showed up to like work with me to make something important happen. And it opened doors in my career um, that I couldn't have imagined, you know, on the other side of that. So I would just say like, it, it is scary to get over that like hump, but being honest and doing what's right even if it's scary and even if there is that, like, you know, you're facing an initial backlash, like it, it's always leading you in the right direction because that idea of like hiding yourself or like minimizing yourself or not speaking up, you're not actually keeping yourself safe. You're just keeping yourself small. And the thing is, is we have data that backs this up is 64% of women have been told that they're like too meek or too quiet or don't show up like as leadership enough. And 68% of women are told we're too aggressive, too passionate. <laughs> so it's really like you're, da you're damned if you do and you're doomed if you don't. So you might as well just do it. That's yeah. kind of, kind of my point of view. And my experience has really, has really backed that up. 
No, it's so true. I mean, what ultimately, what do we have to lose? If the status quo is already rubbish, we might as well do something about it. Um, and, you know, you certainly have. I mean, after just, you know, a brief look, you've, you've got a lot on your resume in terms of your kind of advocacy projects all the way from, you know, gender representation to race to mental health. I mean, that's really, you know, that's so positive to see happening in the industry. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, sometimes one of the things that I've figured out is I think there's a lot of times where we look around and I certainly have this like this. Maybe this is a bit of imposter syndrome, right? You know, you might notice something and you're like, oh, somebody should say something. Somebody with a bigger platform than me should say something. Somebody that would people would listen to should say something about this. And what I've realized is a lot of times the person that we're waiting for is us. So if you if you see it if you're if you feel compelled to do something about it do it because that means you're the person that's meant to do it and and i think um yeah i think for me you know i started out doing this work before i had a big platform mm-hmm. and doing it has given me a bigger platform which has enabled me to pass the mic and share that platform with people and, you know, just raise visibility for other creative women, um, for other people who are underrepresented in our industry. Um, and also just to like, to show that these things are important. I think before things have a platform, before they see the light, it's really easy to ignore them. But once, once they're out there and once people are responding to it, it's like, no, this is important. And, and people recognize that it's almost like you need to have that first like moment of brave to get the momentum going. And I I think that that's, that's something that having experienced that once or twice around certain of my projects, it's made it a lot easier to lean into that trust muscle when those things pop up for me and being like, okay, yes, I'm going to say this. I stopped check, you know, I stopped questioning whether or not I'm the right person and more like it needs to be said. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's really great because representation is kind of that really, really important first step, but it's also not the whole story. I mean, you know, ultimately we're kind of striving for a a genuine equality, inclusion, diversity that goes beyond, I suppose, just being seen and heard, but kind of accepted. I mean, how yeah. do you how do you think that the industry can take steps towards that? You know, I don't think there's any one right answer here because I think everyone's at a different, um, you know, everyone's at a different place in their, in their uh, DEI journey and in their own um, awareness and like, and, and, and um, learnings about this and understanding what that means to their organization. Um, And I think a lot of times, you know, especially in bigger organizations, you can make a lot of changes like with who you staff and and who who you hire, um, who has a seat at the table. But there are a, a lot of times another layer where it's like, okay, but who who gets sent to the conferences to speak? Who gets to speak for this company? Or who gets the big opportunities? Or who gets promoted? There's layers that kind of like peel away at this, and you can look at like there are actual structures that work against this. But I think for me, the biggest um, the biggest, the best place to start is just with your why. Like, why do you want, why do you think it's important to have more representation? Um, what does that look like to you? And I think hiring, you know, having people in leadership that 
uh, hiring people into leadership roles that may have not um, may not look like you or may have different views than you or may have different life experiences than you is always a positive first step. But I think also knowing that those people depend so much on the allyship of people who are already there. So making sure that if you're hiring people that are going to be the first or the few within your organization, that um, that the people that are you know hiring them, the people that are going to be partnering with them are fully bought into being allies because we count on our allies. I think things like that is acknowledging it's not just about bringing people in, but it's about making sure that those people can be themselves and bring those diverse opinions to the table and feel safe enough to, to really, you know, add to the culture. And, and I think that that's, it's a fully, it's a full commitment on behalf of the partners that bring them in and their managers. And I think just acknowledging that it's not enough to hire somebody who, um, you know, who looks different than you, you have to be really willing to be their partner in, 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 um, and bringing themselves to the table. Sure. And your, you know, your time at The Sims, I think, is is really interesting, especially because, you know, you mentioned tech is kind of known for being dominated by men. Gaming is known as be- for being dominated by men. Creative is being known for dominated by men. Like there's a bit of a theme here, but it sounds yeah. like your experience at EA has been a much more positive one. The thing with a place like EA is EA is, you know, a corporate, a corporate entity with, with within which... There are different studios, these different gaming studios. Mm. I'm a part of Maxis. Um, Maxis makes The Sims. Um, and Maxis itself, I, I can't speak to other other studios because I my day is Maxis. Like really, Maxis is kind of like my little mini world within EA. Although I can say that like people that I've been interacting with on other teams are, have been lovely too. And I think leadership is... Uh, very involved in the DEI, organi- you know, conversations, and they are investing um, and and having these important conversations. Um, but yeah, I think Maxis is a special place. Um, we are a studio with a lot of female um, representation in leadership at the highest levels. Um, our GM is a woman; she's amazing, um, Katerina Malay. Um, so I think that changes something. And I think also something about The Sims being the world's most representative game. And that's not to say that we don't have room to, to be more inclusive. And yes, and yes, we're constantly thinking about that and constantly innovating. But this type of creative challenge, you know, brings in people that care about these things. And I think that that's what makes this particular group of people so special is that these people chose to come in and be a part of uh, a game that's about building and sharing and being creative and telling your own stories and like self-discovery instead of choosing to build a game that's about, you know, going to war or, you know, I mean, it's (laughs) no judgment, no judgment on like other games. I, they all have their, you know, benefits to the people that play them. I think especially like in a pandemic, there's things that we get out of gaming that we can't have in real life. And I think there's a real benefit there, but that kind of creative challenge is very unique in the gaming world. And I think because of that, the people that come to work on this are, are a unique group of people who care about that, you know? And I think that that's part of the magic on the Sims. 
And, you know, you mentioned earlier, diversity is good for business, right? And it can't be a coincidence that, you know, you've got this very, very diverse team of people working on a game, which, you know, as you mentioned, is it's known for representing different sexualities. It's known for challenging gender norms and allowing people to be whatever iteration of themselves they would most like to be, you know? So it's kind of, um, it's, it's amazing to see. And it's such a positive example, I think, for the industry. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's something on the marketing side that we've been really, you know, um, exploring, I think, is that we do not, this game doesn't come with a narrative. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't have, we do not own the narrative. There is not a gameplay, like a scenario that you play. It's, it's basically a canvas and people can build the world and then play out, you know, play out these, you know, whatever kind of scenario that they want to play out. And a lot of it is about, you know, learning about themselves or like trying on different versions of themselves. Um, And there's so much, creativity there. I think for us, you know, on the marketing side, it's been really about like, what, how do we take the creativity and take the stories that are already being told on our platform and like up level those and like, and give those a platform in our marketing. And I think that that's been really exciting because we're not telling people how to play. We're saying like, here's, here are some great things you could do. Here are some amazing things that people are already doing with, with our game. And I think for me, um, as a creative person who cares about, you know, the, the, the innovation that's coming out of other creative people who have been historically represented in media, you know, that's really exciting. And so thinking about how we're actually tapping into our community and to, into their interests into creative people that they rally behind and bringing them into our creative process has really made for um, some of the best work, I think, that's come out this year. And it's resonating with our community and and it feels really good, you know. So I think that that's what, to, to me, like that's where the biggest opportunity is, is just um using our platform to celebrate the diverse create the diverse creators and the brilliant ideas that are already happening in and around this community that that kind of rallies behind the sims absolutely and it's a great example you know we were talking before about the different stages and phases and almost ingredients for that kind of inclusion but it's i think it's so important to have an example like this where you've got you know diverse inspiration, diverse representation in the work, a diverse team producing that work. Um, And also, of course, you know, a business which is kind of consciously engaging in those kinds of representative issues. Um, You're on EA's DEI Council, is that right? Yes. How's that experience been? It's, you know, it's been really awesome in that uh, it allows me to take some of the important conversations that are happening on The Sims, things we're thinking about, about representation in our marketing, uh, things that we're thinking about, about how do we bring on the right partners to kind of like, are we, are we talking to our partners about their representation? Like what do their pitch teams look like, you know, and really thinking about how we're extending our opportunity beyond just who is here in our immediate um, space and and being able to pull that back into a larger organ you know larger conversation that 
um, impacts what EA is doing in the broader marketing org, which has been really exciting. Um, And it's also been great to just have that cross pollination with other marketing leaders on the game, on on, on another game, on other games, or um, even on the sports side and kind of like learn from them because we all have our different challenges. And I think um, it's not only been exciting to see that like this is a way that we can kind of bridge the different studios and different challenges in a way to get people talking about different things but also that we have leaders who care like all of the people in the DEI council have big jobs like it's it's our 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 champion like our executive champion is Al McCarthy who is our VP of brand. And this is not part of her job. This is something that she's doing because she cares. And I think all the other people, like the people that are with me in my pod for this group of leaders are all, you know, it's senior, senior directors, it's directors, it's senior managers. And these people are doing this because they care so much. And it's, it's in addition to our, our day work. And I think I'm just reinvigorated by that, that, by who who's here. And, and for me, like the fact that I like stepped into an organization and they were like, I see you, I see that this matters to you and gave me that opportunity right off the gate, like right out of the gate was, it said something about being seen on a level that I haven't experienced before, but that really felt great. Of course. And it's, you know, it's really, it, it does show the importance of having a kind of dedicated network or community of people who are supportive who will listen, who genuinely care. I mean, you've mentioned, you know, the 3% movement, the DEI council. It sounds like that having that almost advocacy network has been a key theme of your career, if you like. I don't know if that's fair to say. Uh, No, I would absolutely say that. And I think um, another great example is um, Next Creative Leaders, which is um, an organ, you know, a movement that I kind of co-founded, back in 2015 with the One Club for Creativity. And this was all about um, highlighting what leadership looks like through a woman, like from through a female lens. And now we've like broadened and it's um, we're celebrating women and non-binary talent, but it's really about showcasing like the magic that happens when you let women lead and like leadership doesn't have to have a title. It can be leadership as an intern. It can be, you know what I mean? It can be leadership as an art director. It can be leadership as a senior copywriter. Um, what that looks like and really spotlighting and celebrating those stories, um, in order to kind of broaden what our industry wants to celebrate. And I think I started that because, um, I was interested in, in, in locating my peers. And I felt like there was like really a gap in the market around, I wasn't seeing the kind of leadership that I aspired to being celebrated. I didn't know who these women were. I was like, where are the other women that are trying to become creative directors that are thinking about maybe being, becoming a mom worried about how that might impact their career. It was like where I was in that stage of my journey. And I, I didn't have that community. Um, and so that's, this kind of came out of that. Um, and I never could have imagined like the way that, starting that initiative would create community in my life. And it's been the gift that keeps giving because every year I get to connect with 10 to 26 amazing, you know, women and non-binary leaders around the world. And we become like a little cheerleading squad for each other. And not only that, but every time we have a new class, 
it's basically saying, putting a spotlight on them and telling their their um, employers like, hey, this is a rising star. If you don't promote them, they will get poached. So yeah. it's just been exciting to kind of like be on that trajectory with people and see how this impacts them. But just the conversations are so rich and it's created community that I guess I need, you know, I needed, I didn't know how to articulate that, but sure. even the people that show up around us who celebrate, who, who want to celebrate these women who want to be a part of our jury, it's just become an amazing community of people who care about what we're doing and who are at similar places in their careers or want to mentor us. And yeah, it's a game changer. I think community is a game changer. And when you feel underrepresented, being able to tap into a network of other people who have had similar experiences to yours is so empowering. It's so validating. Um, And it's almost like putting on a brave suit because, you know, you have an army behind you. And I just, I'm so grateful for that. It's really like changed my career. Um, and, and also like how I feel about myself. So yeah, I'm very grateful for, for the community that showed up. Yeah, no, it's so important. And, you know, the dialogue surrounding those kinds of communities can be, you know, a little bit varied about the idea of having kind of women only spaces, women and non-binary only spaces. But of course it is literally the antithesis to the old boys network, the kind of boys club that we can't get into. So I don't, in some ways, I don't understand why this, these kinds of communities are viewed as being, any less than what they're almost trying to overcome. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a stigma there, but I would also say that like one of the great things about, I think the 3% movement and, you know, next creative leaders and these, um, you know, these programs and and opportunities that are popping up to uplift these um, and, and shine a spotlight on people that may have been overlooked and kind of create community around that is, they're open. Like we, you know, one of the great things about next creative leaders and the best part of the program is we, we talk about their, we, we, we host um, talks where we talk to each of the leaders about their work and they answer questions about their creative process. And those are open. Like men can come to those, you know, (laughs) anyone, anyone can come to those and like learn from them. And, and our jury, you know, we pride ourselves in having like a super diverse jury and that includes men too. And so I think this idea that like, it's not about, yes, it's about showing up for each other and being like, Hey, you're not alone, but it's also about, it's also about, um, showing the industry that there's like there's something worthy here of celebrating and being a part of and really opening up, you know, the opportunity for men to, to grow and learn with us and to, and to feel good about championing us to feel good about like learning something and evolving their standpoint. And I think that there's always room for that. And anything that I do, it's always an open door. Like I want, people to come to this conversation, to challenge it, to challenge themselves, to learn something and to go away as enriched as I have been from it. And that's open to anyone. It's not just about, you don't have to be a woman or to, you know, to be non-binary, to be a part of this. Like, yes, to get the award you have to be, but (laughs) to be a part of our community, you can be anyone. That's fantastic. It's great to see, you know, such genuine inclusion. Um, I feel like I could keep asking you questions all day long but um I know it's a good conversation yeah you won okay final final question that we always ask people but you know you mentioned mentorship um what advice would you give to any women who are pursuing a career in the industry 
Oh, this is such a good one. If I mean, I always try to go back and think about what I would have told myself. Oh, it makes me emotional, right? Um, what I would have told myself um, starting out. Um, I guess one thing is like, um, don't waste any of your energy hiding yourself or trying to be somebody that you're not because one, we talked about this earlier. It, it never works. It, like it might keep you safe for a little bit, but like people that are not wanting you there are going to find fault with you regardless. And there's so much power in stepping into your authentic self, because not only does that, does that enable you to bring your full innovation and the full, like the full humanness of your experience into the solutions that you bring in the workplace, which is what we need at this time in the world. Um, but it also will, will if, if you're not meant to be somewhere, it'll close that door faster and, and you'll be on to the next because every time you lean in, you are like a beacon for the right people and opportunities to find you. Um, so I would just say, I don't know that I would have listened to myself. <laughs> I had to kind of go through it, but just don't, don't try to feel like you have to fit the mold or, or hide parts of yourself to be successful because those are the things that ultimately will make you successful in the right places. So that, that would be my biggest piece of advice. It's a good, it's a good uh, piece of advice to live by. <laughs> well, I try to live by it myself. I mean, it's constant, you know, it's a constant um, evolution, but I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to live that more and more for sure. Absolutely. No, it's, um, it's difficult, but it's definitely something that we should all try to be doing and <laughs> live by. Well, thank you so very much for coming on because it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Oh, thank you so much too. I really enjoyed this. It's a lovely way to start the day. <laughs> and I know it's the end of it's like the end of your day. So I appreciate you it uh, is. spending well, the evening with me. It's a fantastic way to end the day. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about Laurel, you can find her on Twitter at Laurel Lou. You can also find out more about her work at The Sims in the show notes. If you're interested in the next Creative Leaders competition, it's free to enter for female or non-binary creatives with submissions opening in late spring. Next Creative Leaders is also looking for new jurors of any gender from around the world. So do get in touch if you're interested. And if you want to get in touch with us to comment or share your experiences, or you're interested in coming on the show, then you can reach us on Twitter and LinkedIn at Ernest Agency. I've been your host, Beatrice Alabaster. Our producer is Susan Conacotu, and this podcast is brought to you by Ernest, the B2B marketing agency chasing out the humdrum in London and New York.